This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another great episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where every week we try to bring you the best guests from across the fishing industry. Before we get started, please remember you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers and listen to us on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Waypoint TV. Also, make sure if you haven't done so already, uh, tune into our most recent episode with Greg Kudnick of Fisherman's Headquarters and Fishhead Charters. Our buddy Qua got a chance to sit down with Greg and talk about his tackle shop and charter business, uh, plus a lot of fishing around Barnegat Bay and Long Beach Island, New Jersey. So you don't want to miss this episode, plus many of the exciting episodes that we have coming up, uh, including our awesome guests that we have on tonight. Um, but before I get started, I want to introduce my co-host, Bobby Norgard. Bobby, how you doing? What's up, Tyler? How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Uh, started to do a little trout fishing so far. You know, the weather's, get, weather's getting a little bit nicer. Going to be uncovering my boat soon. So I'm, I'm ready to get after it. Listen, I know this will air in two weeks, but I mean, we just got pummeled in here in Connecticut, but it feels like spring now. It does. It's feeling so nice out there. I'm ready to get out on the water. I'm tired of sitting around and just looking at pictures of fish online because our guest tonight has been killing me with his Instagram posts and all the big fish he's been catching. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome on uh, Mitch Metcalf of Due North Fishing. Mitch is a bass fishing guide who specializes in uh, fishing and guiding on Blue Marsh Lake near Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, so if you're like me who have taken my bass boat out on Blue Marsh, you know that it can be a tough fishery, uh, but Mitch has it dialed in. So this is one where you're going to want to grab that notebook, get out a pen and take a lot of notes. I know I will be. Mitch, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Tyler. And hi, Bobby. And thank you guys so much for having me on this show. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I, I know since I joined as a co-host, you were on my short list of guests that I wanted to have on because just to kind of fill everybody in, um, you know, a couple of years ago, got my first bass boat. Blue Marsh Lake is pretty close to where I live, so I, I go up there quite often with it. And like I said earlier, it's a tough fishery. And I know from, uh, you know, seeing 
posts on social media. I booked a couple trips with Mitch and I learned so much about bass fishing in general and about catching fish on Blue Marsh. So, um, Mitch, we're glad to have you on. Well, I definitely thank you again. And, you know, the whole point of this is to be able to go out and go catch fish on your own and improve your skills and to not have to pay to learn any of this stuff. So the whole point of this is to go out and enjoy it as it is. I like to teach those tools and those techniques to be able to go out and do that yourself. And I'm glad that it's working out for you. Absolutely. Mitch, you, know and know, you know how I know you're a guide? How's that? I know our viewers can't see you, but you have the sun glasses tan. Definitely. So if you have it during the winter, you must be a guide. <laughs> it does not leave. <laughs> I love it. It's a great look. Thank you. Mitch, how many days did you send you? Uh, how many days did you say you spend out on the lake every year? So on average, uh, we've recorded uh, it's 300 plus days a year. And I'm running about 130 trips a year, maybe 140. Um, but this year, since we haven't had, you know, a total ice over, I've had to chop through it a couple of times, but I've fished every day this year. I can't say I've done that before. It's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. And there you go, Bobby. That explains the sunglasses tan, right? Absolutely. Um, I could have guessed that, but. <laughs> could be windburn too. <laughs> Ooh, it's probably a combination of both, if I'm going to guess. So, Mitch, before we get into kind of talking about your uh, guide service and the techniques that we're going to be talking about here tonight, um, where we start to get to know our guests, first and foremost. So uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got started in fishing. Cool, wonderful. I, um, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, near Minneapolis in a small town. And of course, a lake nearby. And every day I would go out and fish as a kid. And, you know, I just, every day after school, I'd rollerblade to the lake, I'd bike to the lake, whatever I had to do to get there. Um, and thankfully my parents allowed me to do that. So I would go out and that, that really started my passion for fishing. Um, then I moved to Idaho and actually trained horses of all things, which is what brought me to Pennsylvania. But there I, I trout fished, I fly fished. Um, and really found a different avenue for my own fishing that really is going to add to my later career as a fishing guide. Um, so after that, I then moved out to Pennsylvania, trained horses here for a while and realized, man, there's a huge opportunity to excel and, you know, build my own self in the fishing industry and in maybe a way that most people wouldn't consider, um, you know, as a bass fisherman in particular, most of this is about tournaments and, you know, winning tournaments and being on the elite series and all, all that. I personally feel like fishing should be for everybody. And that's how I started. That's how I wanted to be forever. And I think all you need is a passion. And what I'm trying to do nowadays is actually reignite or ignite that passion and whoever comes on the boat or even people that watch my post, um, because that's what I truly enjoy. And that's why I do what I do. So that's kind of where I came from. And, you know, that's hopefully where I'm going still. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love what you said there about tournament fishing, because, you know, I think when a lot of people think about bass fishing, you know, the, the bass boats and everything out on the lake, they think about what they watch on TV um, with professional anglers and, you know, the high stakes, the pressure that's involved when in reality, 
if you learn some of those same techniques that they're putting into practice, you know, in their tournaments, you can go out and have a great day on the lake, great time bass fishing without all the stress of tournaments. If that's not something that, you know, you're looking to get into. Absolutely. I mean, at this point in tournament fishing, it's, you're a professional athlete at, at that level. Um, and I think that really, it just adds a different element. It doesn't really take away necessarily, but all those guys are at the pinnacle of their career and they can do all those techniques and everything flawlessly over and over and over again. Um, so I think we can kind of take from, from that and learn how to do those techniques, like you're saying, and get really good at them, but not have the pressure of having to, you know, manage your life financially through that process. And I think that that is a little too much pressure and <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah, I would have to think that would be extremely stressful trying to manage your entire life around tournament to tournament. You know, you do you do really well in one tournament, get a lot of money coming in, and then the next one doesn't go so well, and you're wondering where the next paycheck's coming from. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that that could have been an avenue that I chose to go down, but I felt like there was enough. There's enough of that already, and I don't necessarily need that in my life i don't want that kind of pressure and i don't really want to be away from home that much so i feel like this was the best approach for me and i found a lake that no one was guiding on and i found a lake that was a little challenging and one that maybe isn't so popular and one that you know just has maybe more to offer than some other lakes and i don't think i've really realized its full potential yet but I'm starting to now after, I guess this is my seventh year of fishing 300 plus days a year. Um, and I'm just really now recognizing the, the diversity of this lake and how much it can really teach us. Um, and understanding that this is the perfect place to do what I'm doing. And it's, it's pretty, been a pretty wonderful experience, actually. Awesome. So you mentioned a little bit about, you know, some of the reasons as to why, you know, you started guiding on Blue Marsh, but I have to ask you a little bit more about, you know, why Blue Marsh? Because for a, a lot of people that live around that area and go out on the lake, myself included, you know, for years, all you heard was, oh, that's that lake. That's the Dead Sea. There's no fish in that lake. It's impossible to catch bass there. So what drew you to Blue Marsh? So that is a great question. Um, you know, it's it's funny, actually. When someone says, oh, there's no fish in there, you kind of got to think, well, why are they saying that? It might be because they don't want you to fish there because there are fish in there. And to be honest, I would look, I actually was in a club, the hog hunters of Allentown, and I used to fish tournaments with them. And we, we came here one time and I went to practice and I had a really tough time trying to figure things out. And, you know, we fished the tournament and it took one or two fish to win the whole thing. I'm not sure how I did. I may have done okay, but either way, it, it brought my attention to the lake because I would see these, you know, sometimes very big fish caught all the way from April to June and then July, August, September, even into October, you really, you really didn't see much going on there. And I figured, man, there's gotta be something more to this. So my brain as a diehard fisherman, we'll call that tells me I got to go out there and figure it out. And I started spending almost every day there just fishing it because I wanted to improve my own skills. 
Um, and after doing that for about a year, I realized, you know, this is a place that, that I can learn a lot from and I need to really buckle down and, and figure this out. And this is where I learned how to offshore fish. There is no grass, you know, around the edges of the lake, like most lakes in the country. Um, so what that means for us is there's an opportunity to take that element out of the equation. And this lake offers all of that opportunity of, of being able to step away from the bank, get out offshore and start looking for places that most people have not casted at yet. Um, and those are the things I want to try to figure out. So that's really what brought my attention to the lake, I guess. Awesome. Definitely not. And <laughs> no, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say it is, it was not necessarily a destination lake by any means. Um, but I think because of that, you know, it gave me the opportunity to step up and build my own self there and become seen and, and people know who I am that fish there because I'm there every day. So to be able to be seen and build my own self and take something that wasn't really claimed yet and sort of call it my own, that's, that was the great opportunity I needed, honestly. Yeah. Well, you are definitely very recognizable up there because I know when I'm out on the lake and I see the blue boat go by, I'm like, do I follow him? He's not where I'm at right now. So what does that say about the fishing where I'm at? <laughs> I I might not be there because I saw you there. That's you know? true. That's true. I guess it's not the first thought that goes through my mind, though. But sure, I'll we'll go with that. That makes me feel a little better. I um, um <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Rich, what's what's due north? I mean, I know what due north is. It's north, but where where the where the name come from? So, it's it's actually funny. So when you're brainstorming about uh, a company name, it, you know you never know what's going to happen. So we were actually driving to Maine. Uh, me and my wife were driving, and we're brainstorming about names that will stick, but aren't my own name. Uh, because I didn't want this to be about me and I wanted it to be a recognizable brand. And we were, you know, sort of along the lines of North Face and Columbia and things like that. We wanted to have a logo that made sense and was simple and clean. And as we're driving up to Maine, she says it and we're, you know, we just heard due north and it just sounded exactly like what we needed to do. Um, it, it's truly like that when you see exactly what you need, you just got to go for it kind of a thing. And that's, that's sort of what happened. It was amazing. A couple, couple little quick thoughts and that's what happened. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about offshore fishing, which I want to get to in a moment, but while we're talking about your um, guide service, maybe you can give us a little bit of a rundown on uh, what kinds of trips you offer. Okay. So Primarily, I offer a six-hour trip on Blue Marsh designed for up to two people, uh, simply because I do not have a giant boat. Um, that is $385 um, per, per boat, not per person. Um, that's the question a lot of people ask. I also offer a two-hour sonar training designed to be used on your boat. So whatever electronics you have, I will jump on your boat and make sure they're dialed in, and then we'll talk about um, how to apply that to your fishing, your everyday fishing. Um, that one's $200 for two hours. Then I also have private lesson rates at $75 an hour. If anybody wants extended time or if somebody just wants to come out and, and work on a specific technique, 
that's sort of what that's designed for. So that one's 75, two hour sonar is 200 and the six hour trip is 385. I have also added um, just some random sort of luck, I guess we could say came my way. Um, the Susquehanna River, I have now added that to my list of places I go. I will be doing that October through December. That will be 500 six hour trip um, simply because it's quite a bit further for me. Awesome. Yeah, I know you, I know you spent a lot of time fishing the, the Susquehanna this winter. I've seen some pictures of those nice smallmouth you're catching. So that's exciting for people that are, you know, looking to get into some of the river fishing in addition to the lake. Yes, it really adds a whole nother element to what we do. And by fishing the same body of water, such as Blue Marsh every day, when I take those tactics and apply them somewhere else, um, it gives me the chance to really learn quickly. Um, and now breaking down any body of water takes time. And fortunately, I have another great angler with me um, during that time where I was breaking the fishery down. It took three months to truly cover that entire area and figure out what, what would work and what wouldn't work under what condition would that work? What do you do when the wind blows? That sort of thing. All those factors need to need to take place and it takes a long time to gather all that information. So by fishing on a place like Blue Marsh, it has it's given me the opportunity to break down other places faster as well. And what I've recognized is a huge potential um, with that section, specifically the Lake Clark section of the Susquehanna River, because it is deeper, slower moving, has a lot more room fish can get bigger so that it opened my eyes i'll be honest cool and i know kind of what you were just saying that's probably one of the biggest things that i i learned from you on my time that i spent with you on the water is that you know there's so much to dissect you're not just going to figure it out immediately it's going to take a lot of time but if you get the basics of the technique down and understanding that then you can apply it to a variety of different situations absolutely that is you know, I, I talk about it every day. I say consistency, I say technique. The reason for that is if you can apply the same consistent technique, whichever bait you choose to throw, um, you know, each one has its own thing about it. If you take two or three simple approaches, get really good at them, and then go apply them all over the place, you can now break down what's happening that day. And fish are going to move, right? They swim, they're they're going to shift around the lake based on all sorts of different conditions. In order to figure any of that out, you should probably have a couple tools that you're really confident with that can lead you to make better decisions throughout the day. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. And I know that one of the things that you really like doing and that you specialize in when you're searching for those uh, largemouth and smallmouth bass out on Blue Marsh is offshore fishing. So, um, you know, maybe you can start off by letting our listeners know who you know, if they're not familiar with what's the difference between fishing offshore versus just running the bank and what makes offshore fishing so much more productive than just running the bank. Absolutely. That's super perfect. Um, so in almost anything bass fishing, there's plenty of videos and tricks and tips about how to cast right out a tree or cast right out the bank, because that's where the most active fish live when they go up on the bank 
they get into some tree and they're going to feel safe. They're actually ambush predators, which means they shoot out from wherever they're hiding to eat their food. If I go and pick apart a bank, cast after cast after cast, eventually I might drop a lure right in front of one. To me, because of offshore fishing, it feels like when they go on the bank, they actually spread out along that area. They are active. However, when they go offshore, which is out on a, the same tree that is sunken down on the bottom in 20 feet of water, just one tree with nothing around it. When they're out there, there could be 20 or 30 of them on that same tree. My whole goal is to hit that tree over and over and over again. So if I can do that, it saves a lot of time, actually. It saves a lot of my energy. Uh, the chances of me hooking one out of 30 goes way up. If I'm fishing along a shoreline, it may be 500 casts and I might get a bite. I might miss it. That's the only one there. You're, you got to keep moving. There's an approach to this that when it comes to consistency, you should be looking for places that are large enough to hold enough fish for you to find them and catch a couple of them out of there instead of just one along the bank. Unfortunately, Blue Marsh doesn't really have a ton of that type of shallow, you know, shoreline type of cover for these fish to hide in. When there is that cover available, it's very hard to fish. You have to get the bait way up in there. It's, it's very technical. Um, you get stuck all the time. And the boat traffic. Those waves are very hard. They make it very hard to fish that type of shallow. Um, when you start stepping out into 15, 20 feet of water, because this lake was actually a flooded town, there are a bunch of big concrete structures, dams, bridges, um, you know, all sorts of stuff all over the place, roadbeds. Those are the types of places that these fish use to actually travel around. And when they get there, they'll spread out and hang out in that area for a lot longer. So while I'm looking for fish, those are the places I want to focus on, places where all 200 of them show up instead of one or two. Um, yeah, so... So really those offshore spots are the places where fish can swim around and actually hang out for a long period of time because it gives them, it's the perfect environment for them to have everything they need. Food, you know, maybe a place to hide, but definitely a place to hang out and always be around food. That is their primary goal in life to feed, right? And then reproduce. That's pretty much it. It makes a ton of sense because I know when you go out on the lake, you know, and I am I'm guilty of that myself. You look around and every boat, just about every boat is just running the shoreline, running the bank. And you almost feel like you're missing out on something if you're not doing that, you know, but then going out with you and you start to drive around and you look at all these offshore points in a little bit deeper water and you start to see the, the sonar, your electronics light up with all these marks and all these fish all around there. And you're, and you're thinking to yourself, really? I was just casting for an hour at one tree trying to pull a bass off of there <laughs> when I could be driving around looking for 20, 30, 50 fish on one spot. Yep. I'm, you know, there's this, it's just a funny thing. So even while watching tournament bass fishing, you, it always enamored me that that guy sitting out in the middle of the lake, it looked like he was just casting at nothing. You know, he's just casting out the open water. 
but it's not open water. There's a lot of stuff that's under the water that is the same stuff that's out of the water, you know, on the shoreline, but not very many people cast there. So really you're just fishing their shoreline, not, not the one you can see, but the one that they actually use to swim around. That's the one that I want to be on is, I mean, because that's the one they're using all the time, whether they're going to coming from whatever they are going to be passing by these places way more frequently. Um, not every day are they going to be in two feet of water. It just doesn't work like that. Um, but most of the time they are slightly just not too far away, but they're out in slightly deeper water and they're usually hanging out on something very obvious that most people would just drive their boat over and never look twice at. Yeah. Mitch, let me play devil's advocate for you or just a left field question. Yeah. Because you fish that lake 300 times a day. So you must know where every stump, tree, I didn't know it was actually a flooded town. So building, church, pew would be lying, right? So when you go out in the water, you must have your favorite spots. Do you just not hit them over and over and over again? And I mean, like those are the ones we check first, those are the ones we go to first. I know fish move, but do you feel like you've ever, have you conditioned the fish now? Have you made it harder on yourself by fishing it so much? That is a great question. I love that. <laughs> um, so I, the, the opportunity at Blue Marsh is pretty cool. The fish tend to group up and they are in schools and they actually actively hunt around the lake. So these are actually places where, you know, some of my favorite places on the lake are also the most popular places on the lake and it's places that people fish all the time the cool thing is the fish swim around a lot so i'm not always targeting the same fish on the same places um they actually might go shallower they might go deeper um, so it's actually pretty neat to see how the fish really shift around but by hitting the same places day in and day out it gives me the chance to learn what they do under different conditions on those same places. So it's actually really neat. I would think that after catching the same fish over and over again, you would think, okay, maybe that fish uh, might not bite again. However, I don't think I'm ever really tapping into the same fish because fish sort of shift around and, you know, when they feed, they, they take those little opportunities to feed while they're there. You can catch them pretty quick. Um, and oftentimes those are the ones I'm going for, are the ones that have actually moved up and set up on a place to feed. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's 30 of them. If there's 30, I will continue to try to catch them over and over and over again, because those are the things that are gonna teach me every little detail about that place. Now I'm not just fishing a spot, I'm fishing the spot on a spot. Once I get one to bite, the rest of them want to feed. They just don't know where the food is because there was no other food. It was just my bait. So the more I fish it, the better I get at fishing that spot, in my opinion. I don't think we can actually condition these fish to not bite. I think you can make them a little little wary. So yes, it might make it a little harder on myself, but um, I don't think that that's the case. I think they just move on and then on to the next spot. Yeah, but while I'm searching, and while I'm preparing for trips, I definitely hit some of the obvious places because those are the places that might get you that one bite that tells you, oh, you need to be throwing a swim bait instead of a jig. 
or you you know should pick up a crankbait because it's windy. Those kind of places are predictable, and those can lead you to make better decisions. So yeah, I I always try to hit um, you know very obvious favorite types of places because they're favorites because you catch fish there all the time, right? There's no reason to not hit it. Go hit it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I said, I was just playing devil's advocate. I'm mostly trout fisherman, as most of our listeners probably know. Um, and we have old reliable spots that you know there's just a stack of fish all the time. But then there's that one fish that's always in the tree stump. He's always sitting there, he's always eating. But he gets conditioned as the year goes on. I mean, you catch him, you let him go, he goes right back to that tree and he doesn't move from that spot. But as the season goes on, you can see him, he's there, he's feeding. But he's not taking anything anymore. He's on to you, right? So that's what I'm thinking. And I, I just was wondering if the same applied to bass fishing, which it sounds like it, it does to some extent, but there's just so many fish and they move around so much that you don't ever really experience what I'm talking about in terms of a big lake. Yeah, and and in reality, I think that probably does happen. And I think that's happened for years prior to me ever fishing there, you know? And I think that could happen on any lake. But the cool thing is, the harder they get to catch, the better we have to get at presenting the bait in order to trick that fish. Maybe we got to crawl down on our hands and knees while you're trout fishing and sneak that fly in at the right angle or the, you know, the perfect drift going over that fish and to trick him. So now I have to use those same tactics and really dial in everything I'm doing presentation wise. And the technique that I'm using has to match what I'm throwing because then when that happens, and I present the bait perfectly over that spot. They are deep enough and they are, you know, they're far enough away from the boat. I may have to sneak up on them, actually. I may not be able to get my boat right over the top of the spot. I may have to cast 120 feet away. But when I present that bait right over the area and he's not afraid of me, he will probably bite that bait. That is the cool thing about what we're doing. And, you know, getting more technical, maybe it is a little harder, but maybe that makes us way better quicker yeah yeah i will never forget the first time i went on a trip with you we pulled up to this offshore area that was relatively close to the bank there was like five boats in that area fishing the bank and one of the guys in the boat yells over and he's like oh there's no fish here we're not catching anything we've been here for like an hour and you look at me and you're like watch this and you casted that crankbait in there and proceeded to catch five <laughs> off of that same spot where those boats were hovering over that hadn't caught a thing all afternoon and my my jaw was on the carpet of the boat because i was just blown away by how you could do this you know <laughs> so funny i actually don't remember that exact moment i obviously I, I remember tyler made it up it never happened <laughs> <laughs> i promise i didn't make it up but, but uh that happens it happens okay and and what it is the problem is all that pressure in that area of those guys presenting lure after lure after lure, maybe the fish just pulled out away from all that, which to be honest, it, it may not be that deep, but it might be kind of close to a bank somewhere, but it might only be on one tree stump. And that might be the only available place they have to hide. If that's the only place they have to hide, now all of a sudden they become way more predictable and they're all going to be there. So the confidence comes with knowing that there's a group of fish, knowing that there's one thing, knowing that they're all around that one thing. And if you can present that lure perfectly, 
you're probably going to get a bite. And if you can get one bite, you can get another bite. And that's the really cool thing about how this place works is, you know, what it's, it's predictable. It's, you can put a pattern together um, and then go do it around the whole lake and really learn a lot based on that. And, you know, it's, it's funny when there's five or six or seven boats in an area, it almost, you almost have to just step away from that and just go find something on your own. And it kind of, kind of helps you get out of your own mental block of, Oh, I, there's five boats there. I'm not going to catch anything or something like that. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So, you know, we were talking about offshore fishing and, you know, one of the keys to that is something that I know that you stress a lot on your trips. And that is the importance of using your electronics, your sonar, whether that's Lowrance, Garmin, Humminbird, whatever it may be, you need to use it to find the bass. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about why that's important and, you know, what roles your, your 2D sonar, your side imaging and new forward facing sonars uh, play in finding the bass. Right, 100%. So in this whole process, there is definitely a strategic approach to having consistent results, right? The first thing, if you guys have sonar of any kind, doesn't matter what you have, you are ahead of the game. You now have a tool that you can use to find fish. It is called a fish finder. Have confidence in it. If you do not know what a fish looks like on your sonar, I definitely have examples on my website and on my uh, Facebook page, which we can share or whatever. But knowing what a fish looks like on your sonar should give you the confidence at the very least that there are fish in the area. That is primary focal point number one, be around fish while you're fishing. You cannot catch a fish that is not there. So in having sonar, learning how to use it as an effective tool is very important. It can be very frustrating looking at a screen thinking that this is going to be the game changer that catapults your fishing career. Let's be real. It's probably not. But what it will do is give you all the information that you need to make really good decisions throughout the day. So as I'm unloading the boat for the morning and I'm starting to get my day going, I am going to utilize whatever sonar I have, whether that's Hummingbird, Garmin, Raymarine, doesn't matter, Lorance, I don't care. I'm going to try to find areas of the lake that actually have life, bait balls, maybe a fish mark or two, some kind of activity going on that can at least give me a starting point. Because you know what? This isn't a big lake, but it's big enough. I can't fish it all in a day. So I need to break down that lake. If I drive out and idle around a little bit, it can save me a ton of time in the long run if I find bait fish, okay? Food is definitely an important factor in where the bass or other fish hang out. But we don't actually fish the bait fish. What we then need to do is go out and find all the places that fish can hide. And that's the stuff that we cannot see with our eyes unless you're fishing the shoreline. But those are the places that you can't see with your eyes. You actually have to find them with your sonar. It's where the side imaging comes into play. We can talk about that as well. Um, but by finding all this stuff on the bottom and then actually having a good map. So now you can mark that place and have a map that tells you where it is. You can now zero in on those places. And you actually need to hit them with your lure. 
side imaging helps us do that from way further away. We don't have to drive right over it like 2D sonar. Forward-facing sonar now gives us a chance to stop before we drive over it and look at it from a distance, which now gives us a much more accurate cast from further away and allows us to present that bait in an area where we didn't have to drive over it with the boat, which could dis could potentially disturb the fish. Um, but sonar is a, a very important tool from even in a river to go find some type of active life in an area. Now your area that you're fishing is a lot smaller than the entire lake. Could only be half the lake, but at least it's not the whole lake. Okay. You can really zero in that, that search area. Um, makes a lot of sense. It's painting a picture. Yeah. You're, you're painting a picture essentially of what the bottom of the lake looks like since you can't see it. Absolutely. And, you know, Navionics and some of these other companies have made really good maps um, with actually community edits so people can enter waypoints and then share them with, you know, the, the community that's on that app or that program. But really, the best thing you can do if you do have any sonar at all or side imaging or any of this stuff is to just go out and find things on the bottom that stick up off the bottom and then put a put a mark on them so you know where they are. Eventually, you are going to have a map full of little marks. When you look at the area and there's like five or six little marks all right next to each other, all of a sudden you found an area that you can go cast to. You're going to start looking at a map, at your map, and see patterns and see places where there could be fish. Now you go out and try and throw all these lures that we have available onto those places. And pretty quickly, you will start to break down, you know, some of the things that you can actually catch fish on and, and gain a lot of confidence by doing that. I feel like the fish that are deeper on these places are there to feed. So when you do put a lure in front of them, they'll probably feed. It happens pretty quick. It's good stuff, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, driving around, um, once you get familiar and comfortable with whatever sonar you have on your boat, it's relatively simple, at least I think, to, to mark waypoints, to mark things on the bottom. But the thing that I probably struggle with the most is then once you mark it and you go past it, now turning the boat around and positioning yourself to then fish what you've just marked out in you know, the middle of the lake where there's no identifiable features on the surface of the water, that's what I probably struggle with the most. So, you know, what's your process for setting yourself up once you've marked everything? Wonderful. So the, the probably the biggest thing on that um, is actually using a lot of waypoints, <clears throat> a lot of marks. So when I drive out, I might see something. Let's let's use a tree as an example. If I drive over a tree and I see it, it's laying on the bottom. There's nothing else around it. I'm going to put two or three waypoints on that tree. One on the end, one on the other end, and one right in the middle. What that's going to do is give me a straight line. Now, I will then turn around with the boat and position the boat far enough away and then start driving towards all three of those waypoints that I have. So now I have a way to orient myself with those three things. Now, my first cast as I'm driving forward should go as far as it can go but right at those places. Then when my lure gets down there, then I use technique to actually fish through that area and then try to bump into that tree. If I know it's a tree because I just drove over it, so I should be expecting to hit a tree. 
probably going to throw some type of a jig with a weed guard or something like that. But once I bump that tree, or even if I get stuck, now I can drive forward, get right on top of it, and put a good waypoint right on the middle of that thing where I got stuck. All I have to do then is just back my boat up 10 feet, and I can keep casting at it. Go ahead and practice casting to that tree while looking at things on the shoreline, while looking at maybe a point out in front of you, checking your depth. These are things that are going to help you orient yourself um, to the position of that tree when you do go to cast at it a few more times. And, and the more you do it, the more you approach something, the further away you can approach something, the better chance you have of catching a fish, but the better you're going to get at hitting it over and over and over again. You know, I might, I truly might pick one or two things, you know, one to the left of me and one out in front of me that I can line up with on the shoreline that I might be able to do that faster in order to orient myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. And uh, I know definitely like once you've done that, the technique, like you were mentioning of being able to hit the, you know, the cover that you're marking on the bottom is key. And I want to talk about that next, but Bobby, is there any other questions you had about that process of marking everything before we move on? No, I can just tell you, I suck at it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> By the time I figure out how to put the waypoint on, I'm way off mark. You know, I got to fumble with buttons and this and that. And it's just the way my garment is set up. It's, it's, it's not a good design. Okay. So let's, this is great. Actually. I actually would prefer to actually help you and maybe that will help somebody else as well. Listening because this is definitely, um, something that's easy to talk about. It's easy to watch on YouTube, but it's not exactly the easiest to apply in, in concept. When you go out, do you have side imaging? No. Okay. Um, this is actually an ocean boat too. So we got, we're playing with big waves and current and lots of wind and, uh, you know, I press the button, waypoint, name, yeah. name. Yeah. I don't have time for name. Just, just put the waypoint there, right? And Okay. So, and, and the biggest thing is marking, finding stuff that makes sense and then marking it and then getting back to seeing that screen again and then going back over that area a couple times. So if you do put in a waypoint and you're driving around and you see 2D sonar and you see a big drop off, I'm going to put that waypoint right where that thing starts to drop off. And I'm going to put a waypoint there and it might take me five minutes to name it. But then I get on my screen again and I go about 20, 30 feet if I can, or even further to the left or to the right of that spot. If I see that same drop off happen, now this time it would be coming up instead of down. If I drove, you, know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to mark the same point where it comes all the way up on that, that top part, I'm gonna mark a waypoint right there. Might take me another five minutes to make a name for it. And I'm gonna keep zigzagging around, driving over and up that drop off. As I do that and I start marking waypoints, I might be left with a big long line of waypoints. The more waypoints I mark, the straighter line I have, the more information I have. It'd be kind of like a, a depth line on, on your uh, sonar chart. It would be like a grid line. What that's going to do is give you a map of what you then need to drive back over again. Now you know exactly where all that stuff is. And now you can look at your map and actually drive your boat right at it and orient yourself with that area. And, and based on the tide, you know, now, now at least you know where the place is. 
But now you can make better decisions based on the tide, the conditions of the day, the sun, the wind, whatever it is, the water clarity, maybe. That's where you make better decisions, but you should be doing it right on that area or at least around that area. So even with 2D sonar, I feel like you can you can truly find these depth changes where fish tend to hang out, whether that's a huge ledge or you know a roadbed or whatever it is. It's some type of a depth change. If I see a consistent depth change over and over and over again, that's the area I need to target. When I slow down, and in bass fishing, this is pretty important, especially, you know, we're not trolling or anything. Uh, let's let's use an, a ledge as an example. The top of the ledge is 10 foot, the bottom is 30 foot, and it drops straight off. I'm gonna try to keep the nose of my boat going from 10 to 30, 10 to 30. Every time I go to 30, I kick back to 10. Every time I go to 10, I kick back to 30. All of a sudden, my boat is exactly where it needs to be every time. When I cast, I should be casting towards all those waypoints. Now, all of a sudden, I'm honing in right on that area. Does that make sense? Yeah. You got me curious now, though. Yeah, cool. How many waypoints do you think are on your, your sonar? On my, on my map, just for Blue Marsh alone, 2,500, 2,600. Yeah. And that's... That is seven years worth of work on a on a eleven hundred and fifty acre lake. So yeah, I, I Blue Marsh Encyclopedia. <laughs> I I try to be as detailed as I can because I'm teaching it. Um, it makes sense to you know label things slightly differently and and maybe put a different icon. Lawrence actually has the most user friendly sonar when it comes to the different types of icons you can use and just the ease of maneuvering through the system. Um, so when I show it, it's, it makes more sense on a map. If you can see that there's like a tree there, stuff like that. Um, but other than that, I'm actually putting waypoints where my boat should be to hit that area. I'm also marking, you know, the ledge, but then I'm marking every stump on that ledge or every rock on that ledge that sticks up higher than a foot or two. You know, those are the key places along that ledge that I need to stop and, and spend some more time on. And then the practice part of it is going there and trying to make the cast that I can actually hit that area with. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more I do well, that, the better, better you get, yeah. Well, let's talk about the casts. Let's talk about the mm -hmm. technique. You know, what are you doing? Uh, when you get out there and you have your waypoints, what are you doing? What are you fishing with? Okay. Um, definitely when it comes to the tools for the job, there are a few things that just stand out completely. Um, that would be a bait or a lure to search with and a bait or a lure to slow down and pick something apart with. If you can simplify uh, your day to just two techniques that would make things a lot easier. You wouldn't have to cut off baits all the time and change colors and do all this stuff, which is a big time waster, actually. When I'm fishing, bass especially like to hang out in some way, shape, or form relating to the bottom. If I know that about bass, and I know that they're ambush predators where they like to hide inside something and shoot out and grab their food, I know that they're probably going to be spending most of their time near the bottom next to something. My whole goal is just to hit something that kind of gets my bait stuck. So 
if I'm doing that, I should probably pick a lure that I can, you know, contact something, no matter what it is, a rock, a tree, whatever, stump, something that I can actually fish through that stuff with. And usually that's a jig or a Ned rig of some kind, or even a drop shot. You know, you could, the possibilities are endless, a Carolina rig, things that actually go down to the bottom and stay there. Those are the, that's probably the biggest thing. Choose a weight that can actually give you the chance to get down and hit the bottom and stay there. Then you choose technique such as dragging a bait and stopping, dragging a bait and stopping. When you end up bumping into something big enough to stop your bait, guess what? That you've now found that spot that you were looking for. When you get there, then you're going to have to start fishing your bait through the area. Little rod tip jabs, you know, little, little hops here and there, nothing crazy. What you need to do, though, is actually find those places out there that you found on your sonar. You need to find them with your bait. So as I'm fishing, I'm actually dragging that lure across the bottom most of the time. Then when I find it, now I know exactly where it is. That's probably step number one. Step number two would be taking that search tool. We're going to call it a swim bait. Could be a crankbait, could be an A-rig, could be a glide bait, doesn't matter. Top water. There's so many possibilities. Spinner baits. When I throw that lure over the area, I want to know where that tree is and stay about two feet above it. Now my goal is to get that same fish that was hiding in that tree to come out and actually eat my lure instead of me going down into that tree to try to get to the fish. What I've found is that when a fish leaves the place that it was hiding, it's probably going to eat your bait. If I can start incorporating lures that cover water and swim and, and really something edible for these fish and looks really natural. If I can present that lure over the top of the area that they're hiding in, when they come out to eat it, they are, they're going to eat it. It's not a really not a question for them. They've already committed to eating it at that point. If I fish my jig in a tree, I might find the tree. Sure. I might get a bite in that tree, but I also might get super stuck. So there's a balance here. Okay. You choose the right tool for the job and, and you start, tipping away at those little skills that you need to build in order to fish through these things properly. If that makes sense. Yeah. I remember the one time when I was out with you, we went over some fish crates and you're like, okay, we marked the fish crates and we set up and you had me cast out a jig and you had me trying to pull the jig into the side of the fish crate, lift it up over top of it, drop the jig in the hole in the top of the fish crate to catch the fish inside of it. And I was trying to feel, feel my way through it. I'm like, ah, I'm just not getting it. You know, I kept getting snagged and then you did it and you pulled one right out of the fish crate. I'm like, okay, I know this can be done. Just needs to, I need to practice more to do it. That's exactly right. And I do remember that. Now, <laughs> the, the funny thing is most of the time when we cast out, the whole goal is to not get stuck and lose your lure, right? So you throw out, and you get it, you get it too close to a tree and you just reel it out of there so you don't get stuck. Well, the problem is you probably needed to let that bait fall into that tree and actually stay there for a little bit. Let the fish come over and grab it out of there. That is a very hard concept sometimes for us to you know, get through our heads that once we get stuck to keep getting stuck, it doesn't really sometimes that doesn't transfer over. But 
what you're actually doing is now finding the area where they're hiding and then making that lure look as natural as possible. Um, crawling it really slow, maybe even letting it sit there for a little while. Um, you know, hopping it up and over and letting it fall in the other side, then pulling it back out and letting it fall down the other side. You are now presenting a lure multiple times, contacting the cover and, and keeping something pretty natural in the place where there could be a fish hiding. You have now zeroed in on every little detail that you possibly can. And you, you've made this kind of be more in your wheelhouse instead of just randomly casting around and reeling in. Makes sense. You're catching that fish that Bobby was talking about hiding in the tree stump earlier. Yeah, exactly. That That is the fish I want to go for. Uh, that is probably the biggest fish. It's definitely the smartest fish, but that's the one that I can trick by presenting my lure better than, you know, or, or more, as natural as I possibly can. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Bobby, anything you want to touch on as far as technique, tackle? I have two questions and I like to simplify things because I know these are going to be hard questions. You got a, a search bait and I can't remember what you call the other one. Uh, well, it's, it'll be the one that we're going to pick things apart with. Yeah. Pick uh, things apart bait. We got a search bait and a pick things apart bait. You only got two choices. What are you throwing? I'm throwing a swim bait. And honestly, most of the time it's a Ned rig. A Ned or a rig. Small, a small dig. Yeah. All right. And then the other simplified question, and I always ask bass fishermen this spin cast or bait cast? Mm. I personally prefer bait caster. Um, really, the reason for that is gear ratio. I can get a much faster gear ratio and a retrieve speed using a bait caster than a spinning rod. What that means for me is I can catch up with anything that bites my bait, I can reel it in faster. So, it's not about, oh, I'm going to reel it slower and stuff like that. But on the other hand, really all you have to do is hook the fish good. And whatever works best for you is is the one I suggest using. Truthfully, I've had people throw A-rigs on spinning rods. doesn't matter. The point is, if that's what you're comfortable with, you're going to fish better using that than you would something that you might not be comfortable with. Right? Um to go back to that swim bait and jig theory, the reason for that is an upright hook position. As I'm reeling in a swim bait, I have very consistent retrieve, very slow. I keep it up off the bottom. I don't let it fall. What that does is it ensures that the hook point is always up. When a fish bites it, it's going right through their nose. My hookup ratio is very high because of that. When I'm throwing a jig or something presented on the bottom, I keep my line tight the whole time. It presents that hook point straight up again. If I get a bite, it's the delivery of that hook into their nose. I may not be able to, with a small light spinning rod, set the hook using a big jig hook. I may not be able to do that. But with 30 pound braid and a bait caster, I can do that efficiently. If I'm using a spin rod, I just need to match the hook to the line that I'm using and to the drag system and to the rod flexibility. It doesn't matter what you're throwing. You just got to match that tool to whatever you're using, you know, to throw that tool with, to be honest. 
yeah, I feel like that's that kind of goes across the board. Um, you know, people I actually throw those big glide baits a lot, and most people would suggest a very heavy, heavy duty big rod, whereas really I use a very light rod because I can actually do more with the bait when the fish bites it. They're on there already. If I force them, I'm going to end up pulling those hooks out anyway. So I can't use a heavy rod. Um, so there's little things like that. Whatever whatever works best for you and whatever you're most comfortable with, you're going to fish your best. Yeah. I like that answer. Plus, don't forget about the giant spoon. You got to use the baitcaster for the giant spoon. Look, I mean, a, a nine-inch nickel spoon is pretty heavy. And you should probably have the right equipment to throw something like that. Could you do it on a spinning rod? Sure. Is it the most efficient? Maybe not, but it could be done. Sure. Yeah, I still haven't figured out how to fish the spoon. You handed me the rod with the spoon. I'm like, what do I do with this? I have no idea. You showed me how to like how to rip it really hard. I'm like, this is not going to work out well for me. <laughs> spoons are spoons are an incredible tool. It is one of the only tools out there, um, and the reason they're so big is so that they pick up enough light for these fish to really see them down in 30 feet of water. But it's the only bait that you can pull off a ledge and it goes right back to it. And it actually, you know, if the fish is hanging out on that, that drop off, it's the only bait that goes in and literally goes right at them. So it's kind of offensive. It's a pretty aggressive style of fishing, but the, the reaction bites that you get from something like that is it's outstanding. Um, and it isn't easy to fish. It's a very hard thing to fish. I wouldn't suggest people go out and buy a bunch of nine-inch spoons. Sure, you catch a few fish on them here and there, and they're usually big ones. But is that something you can do all day? Probably not. You're going to get tired. Definitely not for me. I was wore out after, like, two casts. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, Bobby, anything that's... else about, like, technique or tackle? <laughs> well, and that's another big part of it. Um, you know, I, I mentioned comfort and, and what's your – what your skill level is and, and what you can do as an angler that you're really comfortable with, you know, just like that spoon, I may not be able to throw that spoon all day. And maybe I shouldn't be throwing that all day. Anyway, I need to be throwing things that get bit like swim baits and little jigs and Ned rigs, because those are matching the forage in the lake. And we're talking about primary forage. We have a lot of owl wife uh, in this lake which is an owlwife shad. They're about four to six inches long at the, at the biggest. They're really not that big. I should be matching that size bait all the time. If I'm trying to get bites, I should be throwing something smaller that gets bit more. Once I get those bites, then I can upsize and start putting those bigger baits in the area where I know there's fish. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, it's all about... Finding those fish first, getting them to bite, which is often done with a drop shot or a Ned rig or even a crankbait going through there really fast. But once they start biting, then then I want to start to slow down and really pick that area apart again and, and use those jigs and Ned rigs and go really slow and maybe even a drop shot presentation, um, Carolina rigs, things like that, that I can leave on that same area as long as possible. Because those fish are down there looking for food. If you go through there too fast, they may not be able to find it. But if you leave it there, they can go back and find it. Pretty cool thing how that works. That makes sense. You're like finessing them. You know, once you once you run something through there, you try to get maybe that quick 
aggressive bite right away. If, you know, if that works great, if not, then, you know, regardless, you're going to go through there and you're going to get some kind of finesse bait and really just slow it down and go through that area again. Absolutely. And to, to touch back on that comfort, you know, people of all ages should be able to do this and it, it should be truly for everybody that, that has the interest and, and has the opportunity to do it. If you're above the age of 50, I don't necessarily suggest going out and grinding a crankbait all day into the bottom. I think that's probably going to get you tired. Honestly, it gets me tired. I can tell you that right now. And that's why I mentioned that as a professional angler on tour, those elite guys are professional athletes because this stuff doing it at a fast pace is very hard, but just about anybody can slow roll a swim bait and just about everybody can drag a Ned rig across the bottom. Those are things that we should focus on in order to help us learn and gain some confidence in that technique. Then go do it with a big jig, do it with a bigger swim bait, do it with an Alabama rig, whatever. But at least you have some confidence in the area that you're fishing. Definitely. Confidence is key. Um, <laughs> so I know that, you know, recently on your social media, you've been posting a lot about some of these, you know, really big striped bass that you've been catching, or like we mentioned earlier, you know, spending time out of the Susquehanna and doing the smallmouth there. So, you know, what does the future hold for Do North? Where are you headed with your uh, guide business? That's a great question. At this point, um, you know, after sort of showcasing the techniques that I use on different bodies of water, um, showing that, you know, the same lures in these fish's mouth on, on social media from different places. What that's really about is showing that these work all over the place. Um, and it, it is all over the country, but I pretty much want to remain on blue marsh because I truly believe it's the best place to learn because it is one of the toughest places, uh, to catch a fish. So it, it truly helps us improve our skills. Um, I, I want to see a little bit of fall transition into that river this coming season um, simply because I feel like that also offers an opportunity to understand how to fish current and you know really truly how to how to fish a place that you can't see the bottom but it's still just like the rest of the river it's still set up exactly the same way and, and things like that I feel like when we fish places that are dynamic and diverse it can help us really learn so I think my future for due north is going to be adding that to you know my fall season to sort of extend my season because blue marsh can get uh frozen pretty quickly and you know they drop the lake things like that there's a lot of factors that really happen um and to be honest who doesn't want to catch a whole bunch of smallmouth let's be real but uh, these places that can help us learn by catching the striper and the wipers and the muskie and the walleye and targeting all these species and showcasing them, what I'm doing is just showing that, you know, these are diverse bodies of water. There's a lot of balance involved in this, and they're very special places. For the 1,150-acre lake to have 30, 40-pound striper in there is pretty special, and it's pretty cool. I don't think I'll ever leave that lake because I have no reason to. I, I think it's pretty unique place and i don't ever yeah i don't ever want to change that yeah i can definitely say that it's 
it is a very unique fishery, you know, like you said, not just for bass fishing, but the giant stripers, the big muskies, all the other fish that are in there, you know, there's a lot that you can catch and, you know, using very similar techniques to what you were telling us about earlier, you can catch a lot of those fish. Exactly the same ones, actually. Um, it's funny. What I've been doing by showcasing those fish is truly practicing my own skills and improving my own self. I throw, I love to throw a swim bait because I feel like truly anything will eat it. Um, you know, from a 2.8 inch Kitech to a seven inch Kitech, if you rig it with the, the proper weights, it fishes exactly the same from across the board. When they bite a swim bait, it's exactly the same feeling across the board from crappie to perch to big striper. It feels exactly the same. So the reason for that is because when they inhale their food, which all these fish inhale their food to eat, they're actually bumping the line with their nose, but they're actually swimming behind it, picking it up, inhaling that, that water around the bait, and then their line is bumping their nose. That little tiny tick could sometimes be anything. So it is something that I have truly become very passionate about because everything will eat a swim bait. Um, it just matches the food in the lake. Yeah, that's what they're used to seeing every day. That's awesome. I got to ask you while we're thinking, of, I just thought of it here, but uh, what's your PB bass on Blue Marsh? My PB bass is a seven pound, two ounce smallmouth caught, uh, I think it was May 15th of 2018. That's a tank. Absolutely. Amazing fish. Mitch, when's your, when's your favorite time to fish Blue Marsh? I would say all the time, actually. But I knew that was going to be the answer, but if you had to pick one, I'm going to simplify again, right? Like springtime, big bass, are we bed fishing? I mean, is that the... I'm, I'm pretty much always going to be, in some way, shape, or form, offshore fishing. I just feel like there's always a percentage of fish that are just out there doing their thing out there and while they're out there they're usually feeding they're not they're not focused on other things so i don't really have to take that into the equation so if i stay out there and, and target the ones that are truly feeding that's the same type of fish i'm always fishing for and it's pretty fun i actually to answer your question the winter time um although it may not be the most comfortable time to fish what it does is it shows us those predictable places and you're targeting them when they're the most lethargic, right? If you can catch them then, you can catch them anytime. Hmm. So I feel like my favorite time is now when it's the hardest, but I feel like even one little tiny bite can lead me to make so many good decisions in the future um, just simply based off of maybe the worst bite you've ever had. Maybe this, you thought it was a stick. Those are the bites that could lead you to the next five pounder because that's where the five pounder sit is down there. And truthfully, there's not many big fish in this lake. I'm talking over five pounds because when, but when they get that big, they're very, very special fish here. So in order to catch those, you have to do special things. And what this does is it teaches me how to do those very, very technical things. My favorite time of year, for sure. If you're listening right now, you don't believe Mitch that he likes to fish during the winter time. Go back through his social media and find one of the videos of him using his boat to break the ice on the surface of the water. <laughs> and then you'll know how dedicated he is to fishing during the wintertime. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I truly believe there are times where 
if I can get to a productive area where they actually like to spend the winter and just spend all day there, I'm going to learn more in that period of time than I would by running around the entire lake. Having a lake full of ice kind of keeps you from running around all over the place. Um, so I just sort of, it, it, it has taught me at this point in my career, I don't, I wouldn't suggest just going out there and going to break through ice. It's crazy. But at this point in my career, what it does is it limits all the other things in my head that tell me, oh, I can go catch them here. I can't because there's ice there. What it, it makes me, it forces me to go learn something new. And in doing that, I've, I've learned to go with those, go with those moments and, and chase that and go fish dirty, nasty colored water because you don't think you can catch them there and try to catch them there. Those are the times you'll learn something. And those are the things that I can then pass on to anybody that comes out on a trip. I'm literally bringing you up to speed to what all the stuff I've figured out by all that time on the water. I'm going to let you know exactly what I think is important and what isn't. And it's, the more I do this, the more I realize there's a lot of things we thought were important really don't matter at all. Um, actually, there's this is a great example. In the wintertime, I'm sure if anybody is on Instagram, they, they've seen the video of all the smallmouth sitting on one rock and they're all just dormant quote-unquote. The problem is they're dormant because they're on isolated cover. If I now target flats where fish are actually swimming around and hunting, I'm targeting active fish again. If I never touch the bottom with my bait and I keep that thing moving up high, I'm always searching for active fish that are out looking for food. I'm going to catch active fish. Probably not going to do so hot on those inactive fish. It might take 50 million casts to get one of those things to wake up. I mean, they had a scuba diver near them, filming them. They didn't want to move at all. Those aren't the ones I want to catch, okay? What I found is all these things that we thought we knew about fish may not necessarily be true. We just might have only been able to study them like that because those were the ones sleeping there that we could actually catch up to and film with a camera. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Does blue marsh ever freeze over? You ever ice fish it? so i've never actually ice fished it um one reason being that it would be very unsafe actually there's a high release dam so the water actually gets pulled out of the top part of the lake instead of down low so when it so when it freezes the problem is the, the water level fluctuates dramatically um they actually drop the lake five feet every winter in order to if it does freeze and then it let's say we get a crazy rain or something which definitely happens they need to let the water out somehow. So they actually have to draw it down. And that's what that's for. And it protects the shorelines from erosion. But truthfully, there's big creek channels and some deep water. Some areas really look frozen solid. And they're just simply not. Uh, it may be three inches along the shoreline. But then you get out about 20, 30 yards. And it's half an inch thick. And you're definitely going to go through. And there's so much. It's just not worth it. Let's yeah. say that. No, I was going to pitch you a new business idea because you can just pop that sonar off that boat. You got, all the, you got all the waypoints already there. You just go out there. You you know where they all are and you're good to go. No work. So growing up in Minnesota after seeing, uh, you know, the <laughs> double trailer getting pulled out there and you're sitting there on your armchair on the couch and you got a fire going and you're watching the game, drinking a beer or whatever. I don't really want to go sit on a bucket out in the middle of the lake, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might not 
that diehard to all of those of you who sit out on the ice and ice fish through that hole. Good for you. You are you are a diehard. I'll tell you what. I I mean I I'm not all about ice fishing, but I've done it a couple times in the past two or three years now. A tent, just a tent, life changing. Absolutely. Gotta have a tent now. I will not go ice fishing without a tent. If somebody took me ice fishing with one of those trailers with a TV and a couch, that's it. I wouldn't go ice fishing without it anymore. That would be it. That's the standard. So I'm with you. <laughs> no doubt. No, and actually that actually brings up a good point. People do ask me what like my best tip would be for the winter or you know what the best bait is. Honestly, my best tip is to get out of the wind and just find a place that you can actually comfortably fish because otherwise you're going to be miserable. It does not matter what you do. You're not going to do it well because you're going to be cold. You can't, you can't fish when you're that cold. There's no freaking way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Right. So, uh, Bobby, anything else about, you know, the fishing technique before we get into some of our, uh, our no, questions here the fan the favorites. Let me get into the fan right. favorites. I mean, Mitch, I know you're pretty enamored with blue marsh, but I have to ask, is there bucket list fish or destinations you wouldn't go to or would like to go to? And you can't say blue marsh. I'm throwing that off the table. I Where do we... fish. I fish blue marsh enough that that one is definitely not going to be my destination of all time type of place. <laughs> all right, good. However, however, it is definitely, you know, the best place to learn in my opinion. But if I was, oh man, if I had a, a dream list, let's say, you know, the peacock bass is just a pretty big bass and it's pretty colorful. I would love to target that in the Amazon. One of those true big 2030s. That would be incredible. Um, another bucket list place would have to be bass fishing something El Salto in Mexico or somewhere in Texas, just simply because the size of those fish. It's outrageous. And I would love to be able to apply the things that I do at Blue Marsh on those fish because i know they've never seen anything quite like it so that would be amazing to me um and actually one of the places i love to go which is truly a dream place is up to new hampshire and maine that's where my parents live so i do spend time up there when you go up and target those smallmouth and largemouth in those crystal clear beautiful places it just feels different and i yeah. love like that um yeah i'd have to say the peacock bass maybe a tarpon Tarpon are pretty ex that's pretty outstanding. Do it. Stay true to your bass. Stay true to your bass. We don't need to hear about the tarpon. <laughs> I would I would be okay with a couple jumps of tarpon in my life, honestly. But no, there's a if I truly wanted to guide and just make money doing it as a full-time job, you know, maybe I would have picked Florida um or something like that, where I truly could do this every day of the year. But I wanted to do something where I could just fish every day of the year that I wanted to and have a job that allowed me the chance to be on the water as much as I wanted to. And this is how I figured I could do it. And whether I was doing it to make money or just to go fish, I'd still probably fish every day if I could. Nice. That's just, yeah. <laughs> All right. Doesn't matter. Hardest question of the entire uh, talk here. Most memorable fishing trip. And we Ooh. always preface this with, it doesn't have to be a good trip. I prefer a bad trip. I like a horror story because those are the ones that actually are memorable. But give me give me the most memorable trip for you. God, I, man, I've definitely I had know it's not the one with Tyler because you forgot about it. So we can throw <laughs> that one out. 
Oh man, that one moment. The <laughs> I've had a lot of absolutely catastrophic times on the water because hey, if you're on the water all the time, things are gonna go wrong. Um, but I would have to say probably the, the most memorable times that I've had on the water is genuinely when you're just around a lot of people that you care about and you're having fun together and you're catching a lot of fish. And I gotta be honest, salmon fishing in New York is absolutely the most fun sort of event overall that you could possibly be a part of i think it's absolutely insane but i love every minute of it i think it's fantastic and that's something that i I haven't done in a long time but i definitely uh you know i've had some really fun memories not just one quite a few of a lot of fish in a day fish as big as you are those are the kinds of things and doing it with the friends and getting them to see you know, getting getting to see them catch and land all these fish and run around the river and do all that, which is so much fun. And I, I just love every moment of that and seeing other people's passion as well. I think you meant stressful or infuriating, not fun when it came <laughs> to the salmon. <laughs> okay. It is stressful and it is infuriating at times. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I have had, I'm just trying to think now. I mean, I'll tell you what, every time I've been up there, it's, I don't know if I go there to fish. I just go there for the people. I mean, there's just some characters in that river, whether it's the ones you bring or the ones you're just standing next to. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. you you nailed it. I mean, it could be the ones you bring or just anybody else watching. But man, just being down there, being a part of it. And, you know, really, it's, it's a little bit obnoxious with how many people, but it's so cool that that act of nature happens and we all get to have that happen right at our feet. I think that's really just, just the sheer power of that is pretty amazing. So anything goes, I mean, if you got some crazy friends and you're just watching people, I mean, it is definitely entertaining from all levels. You are right. I agree. It may be stressful and infuriating. (laughs) Does that mean I'm not going to go back next year? Absolutely not. I'll be back there next year enduring it all over again because it's awesome. Like you said, but, still <laughs> the, the sheer the sheer power of nature is something that has kind of always caught my attention and you know i've caught striper out of blue marsh and stuff like that but to now go out and, and use this live sonar and to be able to do it consistently and you know to truly go out and actually hunt for them using that technology it's given me a chance to truly experience that power from all sorts of different species all over the lake. And, you know, it all it all compares the same way across the board, whether it's salmon in the river or a striper or a muskie or whatever it is, it is just so much fun to feel how much power those fish have and, you know, giving it all, their, all they got, really. And just for us to enjoy that moment and take a good picture and share it with some friends, I think that's, that is what I love about this sport. And, and it is a sport. Awesome. I know that, uh, you know, as far as memorable experiences go, watching the absolute chaos that can be a Blue Marsh boat ramp has to rank up there with memorable experiences. Are you ever just sitting out there like making casts and catching fish right as people are ready to fight each other at the boat ramp trying to get their boats in and out of the water? Yep, that's actually it's so funny. That is actually one of my favorite times to fish around the boat ramp when there's all that activity. Um, you know, that's, 
there are quite a few stories of me catching one or two or three in front of everybody while there's that nonsense going on. The interesting thing is really all the boat traffic does is just scare the bait fish down towards the bottom, which is where all the bass are. Might as well fish around it because you're going to get some bites. Those bass are not scared of your boat at all. And with all that activity, it's just an opportunity for them to feed. So I actually seek that out at times. Um, I cannot tell you how many bass I've caught underneath a jet ski doing donuts. It might sound crazy, but the activity on top of the lake makes what's happening down on the bottom of the lake uh, that much better. Let's say that. I am glad to know that there is a silver lining and a positive to the jet skis running around near me while I'm trying to fish. I'm, I'm going to keep those positive thoughts in mind next time I'm out there and see that going on right in front of me. I, I truly cannot tell you how many times. I mean, I there are places, especially on flats, where if a boat drives over, all it does is scare the bait fish. And the bait fish go down to the bottom. Now, that's an opportunity for any bass in the area to go over and grab something. They're going to eat pretty much anything they can at that point. They're not really scared of your boat. Your boat's never hurt that fish. They don't know what your boat is. They just know that tiny little thing that you caught them on. That might hurt them. But your boat never actually did anything to the fish. But it does scare the bait fish down. So I think a lot of that stuff is actually mental. And, and it's something that it's a mental block for us when we go out. It's pretty easy to make excuses why we didn't catch them, right? That's a pretty easy one to make. If if you didn't have a good day on the water, you could definitely chalk it up to just a lot of boat traffic. I don't mean to take that excuse away from anybody um, because it is still, you go ahead, use it. But I think there's definitely times where it actually helps you more than anything. If If the lake is dead calm, middle of summer, 95 degrees, it's just brutal. You get some of those boats running around. Now you have activity happening. Now you, now you have some life uh, happening down below the lake. And, and it does turn things up. And fish do behave because of that. And actually, at Blue Marsh, they're very used to it. See, Bobby, good vibes only on Mitch's boat. Good vibes only. Positive thoughts. I'm okay Take with that. Go. And beer. That's the, uh, good vibes and beer and fishing. That's, that's bass fishing to me. <laughs> See, and that was not my rule. That's the uh, that's the park service, and that's the Army Corps. That's Just it. No, no Blue, alcohol. Blue Marsh, never going there. Wrote it <laughs> off. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, that is well, uh, Mitch. I think that's every Army Corps lake, at least that I know of. I don't think they allow alcohol in any of them. That's why I stick to rivers. Fair enough. Very. <laughs> right. That may be the best portion of a fishing day for a lot of people why the heck would you take that away from them i know I would, I would well the problem that. is then those those wave runners that you depend on turn into yeah idiot wave runners they'll just not be political about it right so no they're yeah, not doing donuts anymore they're just running into the shoreline or something definitely adding alcohol to motorized vehicles is never a good idea whether it's on land or on the water <laughs> no absolutely not well, Mitch, this has been awesome. Um, I've learned a ton of things I didn't know before about, you know, as far as how to locate the bass, how to target them, all the techniques. And I know that for a lot of our listeners who enjoy, you know, freshwater fishing and getting out on the lakes in our area in the summertime, they're going to learn a lot from this one, too. So um, before we let you go, this is where you can get a chance to uh, share with our listeners how they can find you on social media, um, how they can book a trip with you and also shout out any sponsors that you may have. 
Okay, great. I uh, so best way to get a hold of me um, would either be by phone, which my number is on my website, www.dunorthfishing.com. D-U-E North fishing.com. I'm sure that there will be a link of some kind uh, involved with this. My Instagram, do North Fishing. My Facebook, do North Fishing. Um, as far as sponsors go, I've actually chosen to not have any dedicated sponsors paying me to do anything because when I talk about something, I want to make it known that I didn't get paid to talk about it. I want to be very clear that when I mention something, it's because it actually works. I actually choose to put Livingston lures on my page and give out a discount because I do believe in their products. I believe that sound underwater is a great attractant and it can be heard from a long ways away. I feel like that might be the only thing that I would truly shout out at this point. Um, but yeah, other than that, just getting a hold of me, reach out on my website, reach out on Instagram or Facebook, um, or give me a call. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I can recommend from, you know, personal experience that if you're struggling with your bass fishing, if you want to learn more, whether that's a blue marsh or any other, like you definitely want to book a trip with Mitch, it's worth your time and you're going to have a great experience on the lake and you're going to learn a ton. that's going to help your bass fishing. So Mitch, thank you again for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming on tonight as a guest of ours. And ladies and gentlemen, remember that uh, you can follow us on social media um, and you can watch or, or excuse me, you can listen to uh, Tide Chasers on all your major podcast platforms. So thank you, Mitch, again. And thank you, Bobby, for hopping on with me this evening. Well, tight lines, everybody. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you.